Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. So, yeah, I think the basic question is... Would you rather be somebody that people like for the like your online persona? But mm-hmm. when you do, they're like, that Mo is kind of a dick, man. <laughs> or would it be somebody <laughs> where people are like, man, that Mo is a bloviating blowhard. And then they meet you in person. They're like, dude, he's a good guy. I like him. I you know, I think they should be. See, and the thing for me is that I feel like you should just be. And, you know, that's my big thing, right? Like being authentic. Sure. And I think who your online persona. And this is not going to work for everybody. This yeah. is definitely not going to work for everybody. And it de- and I think it also kind of depends on what you do for a living. Obviously, if you're like a wrestler or something like in WWE yeah. or, you know, you're you're going to have your character that you're playing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you play that character so much, maybe that becomes who you really are. Yeah. Um, but for me, like I feel like my online persona should be the same as my offline persona. Right. Like just being authentic. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've tried to like make it so I have no online pers- persona at all anymore. That's I try best. to take everything That's down. Um, you hear that from a lot of people though, Carter. You hear that from a lot of people that actually make their money being YouTubers. Not, yeah. not, not everyone because some of them enjoy. And those, those, the ones that you can tell like enjoy it to me, they're kind of, I don't know, I'm not going to hate or throw shade or whatever, but they just seem yeah. kind of like D bags. Yeah. Um, the ones that kind of do it because it's necessary for their business, like they have these really cool YouTube channels and they're good at what they do. Yeah. Um, but you could just kind of tell, or they'll even say it. They're like, man, if it wasn't for the fact that I needed this for my business, I would probably have no Facebook, no online yeah. um, activity at, at all. But this is necessary in order for me to to make a living. Yeah. No, I was actually thinking about just deleting my Facebook page yesterday i was kind of looking at it. i'm like i never like even look at facebook but i was like i'll i'll leave it on for a little well, you look at it for the jujitsu of life stuff that's i was gonna say obviously i mean you know me me and the thousands of other people that are looking at jujitsu of life material <laughs> um but but it was it was it was yeah i like that question of which is more important because you and i were talking and i just read the tom de blast book called uh how you bear it b-e-a-r bear it um and it just came out, and Tom is somebody that people in the jiu-jitsu world probably know. He's uh, Gary Tonin's instructor, or Gary Conan's original instructor, and Gordon Ryan's original instructor, and um, he's a guy from New Jersey. Uh, he's fought in the Bellator. He's fought in UFC, um, and he's somebody that, like, if you go to the world of Reddit jiu-jitsu, they are brutal to Tom to play. Like, and, and a lot of it it's like a weird thing because he does do a lot of stuff where they call it like humble bragging, where it's like you are literally bragging about how humble you are, which is ironic because if you were truly humble, you would not be bragging about it. And I get it. Um, and it was interesting because the book reads like that a little bit at times. It's a little bit disjointed. It was sort of put together by him talking to a writer. So it basically, it, it, it kind of jumps around his career and this, the, the vehicle in which it's told is 
he is driving his father to methadone clinics. His father was like a longtime alcoholic and drug addict. And towards his later years, the only way that he could really be sober was to be in a methadone clinic. And basically, for people who don't know, it's methadone is a, a type of narcotic that I guess is supposedly safer than heroin or things like that. So one thing they do to get people off of things like heroin is you take methadone instead. And it's something where you have to get it administered every day. So Tom is picking his dad up in his truck, driving to the methadone clinic, and this is happening over and over again. And mm -hmm. because his dad was a longtime alcoholic and drug addict, even in the, the moments of Tom's life where his dad has been there physically, he may not have been there mentally. He may have been so drunk or so high that he just doesn't remember what happened. And he starts asking Tom about his life, about his life in jujitsu, his life in fighting and all that stuff. And so this, the book is structured with his dad, with Tom driving his dad, telling him, you know, when he got started in jujitsu and like, you know, sort of telling him a little bit of the story, drops his dad off at the clinic. And a lot of times he comes back from the clinic, he's a little bit high or whatever. So maybe the conversation doesn't continue and it's like okay the next day now the conversation starts again and and this is kind of how it's structured which is kind of interesting kind of nice that it's, is, very, it's very unique i like that yeah it could it could work very well visually i could see this being a movie because like almost like the movie big fish or something like that where it's like you know a father and a son connecting in that way and um at first it was it, it, you know there there's definitely moments where he's talking about himself and he's like you know, people look at the successful people, so-and-so, da-da-da, Tom DeBlass, and, like, started talking about himself in the third person, and it's like, I'm like, ah, but I, I don't know. It's one of those things that I think because, you know, you and I know some people that um, have their kids training with him, and, you know, people who have had their kids literally move across the country to go train with him and, and things like that, where I get the feeling from that, from somebody like Gary Tonin, who I really like. I've never met him, but I just, I like him. And I think he's a pretty smart, straightforward guy. And to hear him talk about Tom and how, you know, he met him when he was like 14 and he didn't really have any good male role models. And it was the first person that he saw where he's like, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like running a school. I want to have the respect that this guy has. The fact that sort of people that I'm like two degrees separated from that I admire, admire this guy makes me think that I would probably like him in person a lot more than his online persona. And it was just interesting because you and I have talked about there are people that I have met and trained with and talked with that are sort of famous that I really don't like in person, but I like their online persona. Like I'm a fan of their, I will listen to their online persona stuff and hope that I never see them again. And if I do, I hope that they don't remember me. You know what I mean? Like, it's this weird thing where there's some people where, you know, you can be a fan of what they do publicly, but you don't like the person. And then there's other people where it's like publicly eh, it kind of makes you cringe a little bit or maybe it's just not that inspiring. But it's like then when you meet the person, you're like, I like this person. Like, it's it's sort of I, I don't know if there's many people that are both, too. I mean, maybe we got Mo Siddiqui here. So he's, both. <laughs> but it's like, but I, but I think it's like one of those things where maybe when it's your business, it's a little bit hard to be both. But, um, but with the blast, it was, it was interesting because, you know, yeah, but, you know, the thing about it, but that's a thing though, right? One, I, um, I, uh, you know, our social presence is, is a lot different. And two, he's much more of a person who is trying 
to have social influence, right? Yes. He is trying to influence people. Yeah. But whereas for me, it's it's strictly you know talking about business, um, and and even when I'm talking about business, it's kind of like you and I. We're just talking about our personal journey. We're not advising anybody or telling anybody what they should do. We're just more of anything digitally documenting what we are doing yeah. and then sharing it with people and, and they take it for what they will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, and I'm me personally, and, and I think you as well, it's like, I'm glad we went that route. Like to me, the, the idea of like, I want to be an influencer or whatever. It's like, I really don't, I just don't. And, and I, I don't think I'm, I'd be particularly good at it. And I just, I like what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you after telling me about, and I want to hear more. So tell yeah. me about the book though, because yeah, man, so, you, you had, you left me hanging because so, it was yeah. getting like super good. <laughs> yeah. It's like having these conversations with his father. So yeah. yeah, it's good. So what's good about it is that he talks about the way he learned jujitsu and MMA. Tom does. And where, do, where does, where, where did he start jujitsu? So he was, he started, um, at some sort of random MMA gym and he started like just striking and he had like an MMA, an amateur MMA fight before he really knew any jujitsu. And somehow along the way, he met Ricardo Alameda, who was, um, okay. one of his I don't want to cut you off. Does he talk about what he was doing prior to jujitsu? Because um, it seems like, it seems like Tom is a guy that he he would make for someone who probably should be an influ if you're going to have an influencer because yeah. you know how you and I talk about like when we talk about business we're like eh you know the Tony Shays of the world and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world they don't really appeal to us because we can't right. relate to them right yeah. like well Carter's is really really smart but I'm not a genius so <laughs> an 18 year old that's going to make a billion dollars and yeah. then sell his company for uh, another 10 billion dollars I I don't relate to that. Yeah. I relate to the average Joe that yeah. fails time and time and time. Yeah. I am more of a Rocky guy, right? Like yeah. you get yeah. knocked down, you get back up. You get knocked yeah. down, you get back up. And then one day you have some success. Yeah. And to me, those are the people that I relate to. So someone like Tom DeBlas immediately, yeah. I'm like, that's a guy that I can relate to because yeah. it would be one thing if I thought his story was not genuine. But yeah. I, I honestly believe that he has, uh, he, here's what I believe. And this is why I relate to it because I think you and I, we've talked about this off air a lot. It's yeah. about, um, how, you know, this idea that a person is a good person. And right. for me, it's more of like, sometimes I feel like, uh, uh, myself even, and, and even friends, we're not, we're not good people, but we're, we're bad people who really, really want to be good yeah. and we're yeah. trying to be good. And yeah. that's, why I feel like I, I, I can kind of relate to Tom DeBlas because I feel that about him. Like yeah. he has these demons, yes. he has this darkness and yes. he could have very well have taken a path yeah. to like been this walking nightmare, yeah. but he's trying very hard to what I call overcorrect because I do yes. it. It's like, yes. I have to try to be super nice because I'm trying to, I, I don't want the, the I don't demons. want evil Mo people, yeah. people. I don't want evil Mo to come yeah. out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. And that's a great way of saying it, overcorrecting, because it's like, um, so he he found jujitsu when he was in his 20s. He's only 39 now. He seems way older. Like, and he yeah, said that, sure. like he said, even when he was in his early 20s, people thought he was way older because he, he just was, made me feel like an old man. Yeah, I mean, like he he just, um, he had a very sort of serious, studious persona. He worked super hard. He progressed really fast. Um, and that era, so he was training with Ricardo Almeida, who was like a Henzo Gracie black belt, and he was training with a lot of Henzo guys. 
and and that was pre like you know the you could make a living from jujitsu. So all the guys that were good at jujitsu were trying to get into fighting and MMA. And Alameda fought in UFC. Uh, Henzo fought in you know UFC and Pride and all that stuff. So they, these guys were were doing jujitsu to fight. And a lot of their training, he just talks about it. It's just that crazy first generation of training of not knowing better and like you know somebody getting basically knocked out in training and then just all just take a round off. You know, like just I mean dumb stuff. But it's like when you're when you're clearing a path you don't know where's the best way to go or, you know, the most, you know, whatever thing to do or how you should make the road. You just got to, you're clearing the path. And that's something that it's like, it's easy to judge like that type of training now being, oh, it's so stupid. But it's like, people didn't know at that point. They're, they're just learning how to train for this new sport. And they know that they need to be tough. And they know they need, they think that training needs to be harder than fighting and all that. So there, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And it is kind of a rocky story because that guy had just injury after injury. And, you know, he played, he was in, a, he was a good athlete in high school. And, but he had, you know, like a torn ACL when he was still a teenager and torn hamstrings and just different injuries, like all along the way. Um, and his mentality was always just like, I'll just work harder. I'll put myself through more pain than the other person is willing to. And, and, and therefore I will come out on top. Um, and he, you know, he did decently well. He fought in the UFC a couple times. He fought in Bellator and did pretty well in Bellator. Um, he won the Abu Dhabi trials a couple different times, but then lost, I think, in the first round of Abu Dhabi itself. So it's like he got to a, a good level. He was never like top of the top, but it's almost like a, in many ways, maybe more inspiring because it's like, here's a guy that's a little bit more average than some of the people who did very well. But more than anything, I think, he realized that the way jujitsu was taught at that point was like survival of the fittest. And he's like, man, that's probably not a good way of really spreading jujitsu because all these people that we ran off where it's like, Oh good. They weren't tough enough. Yeah. But maybe they would have become tough enough and maybe they would have been really good at jujitsu. And he kept thinking in his head, I want to teach one day. And when I do, I don't want that person to leave. I want them, if they leave and quit jujitsu, I want to take that as I failed. Not they weren't tough enough, but I failed. And that's a very mature mindset for a guy in his 20s, given the world that he was in, that you know, people from Jersey are a different type of tough anyway. And then that kind of jujitsu world in that era, it's, it's just a different mentality. So for him to sort of figure that out at a young age was interesting and impressive. And he just talks about, understanding that he didn't have a good male role model in his father and how important that is for somebody to have. Ah. And so it becomes very important for him to become a good male role model. And that that's the part that really got me. That's where I, I really started getting hooked in because I was like, man, that's, I mean, my dad was an alcoholic. I've talked about this before. And it's like, so I, you know, I've always felt this inherent need to be a good male role model because I feel like I did not have good male role models growing up. And so to see somebody who understands that, I liked. And it was like, for a lot of the stuff that, you know, maybe doesn't come across as like super polished or super this or like, oh, people are like, oh, he contradicts himself all the time. It's like, all right, I feel differently all the time too. Like I'm on this big calisthenics kick. In a couple weeks, I may be like deadlifting for life, bro. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. It's like this thing of, of like, they expect somebody to be completely on message and perfect and all this versus 
maybe the guy's just spouting out what he feels. And it contradicts. Just, you know, but the, the title's interesting. Man, that's, you know, I love it. Yeah. The title's interesting how how you bear it. And yeah. how does, I mean, does it, how, how does he bear it? Is it, is it jujitsu? Is it, well, I guess, does he, does he actually address that? Because to me, yeah. that's, that's very uh, like the title, man. Yeah. is so it's so good yeah. in itself because it's yeah. like okay. Because anybody who maybe you know, if you read the back of the cover and you're like, oh, yeah. I'm going through this. Yeah. It almost leads you to believe like, okay, it's going to give you some advice on how you can kind of get through these issues. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting you say that because it's like in many ways he shows like a lot of the stuff I did was wrong. Like this idea of he's like you know people talk about jujitsu being their therapy and it's like well. It's not really therapy, number one. And number two, like, he's like, I, I couldn't talk to my jujitsu buddies about the things I was going through and the things in my head because they're all messed up, too. Of course they are. They're all fighters. Like, so it's it's sort of learning how to pursue that type of mental, like, health in, in a different way. And he talks about trying different types of therapy and stuff like that. And he's off, I mean, he's open about, like, he got molested when he was a kid by another kid. I mean, like, he, he went through a lot of a lot of different things. Um, but clearly, it seems like the most, the hardest thing was, was his relationship with his dad. But what I really like is that he is able to um, appreciate who his dad is rather than who he wanted his dad to be. Hmm. And... He gets to do that when his dad was still alive, which uh, is a very fortunate thing because I think a lot of people don't. And, um, you know, the story is interesting because he last fought MMA in 2013 and he knocked the guy out. And he said he was looking at the guy like after he knocked him out and he's like, you know, the guy's all glassy eyed and just all this different stuff. And he he's like, I didn't feel any happiness at all. I felt like this is a guy who's got a family and, and kids and, and people to support and people count on him. And I just hurt this guy because that's my job. But I just hurt this guy. And this guy's never going to be the same. Uh, you know, I mean, like he's lost a piece of himself in this in this moment. And he's like, I didn't feel good about that. Like that just didn't feel good anymore. That didn't feel I wasn't that felt like nothing to celebrate. And he talks about how like when he was looking for happiness in fights and things like that. It was like brief moments of satisfaction and then full on depression and loneliness. And it reminded me of something I heard Dominic Cruz say one time, because Dominic Cruz is a guy who was a champion and also a guy who's had a crazy number of injuries and literally being out for like two or three years at a time. And he said, the moment I found true happiness is when I realized that I didn't need the belt or the championship to be happy. And I think that's what Tom ultimately realizes. It's not about mm. winning. It's not about this. It's like happiness is a, is a separate goal. If you are doing things to become happy, you will never be happy because there are never enough things and they will give you fleeting little moments of things. and It'll be right back to that depression because now you've accomplished that thing and it doesn't make you feel what you thought it was going to feel. And that's even more depressing. You know, and then when you take the world of fighting, which is also which is physically dangerous, where you are taking damage, then it becomes incredibly risky because now you've got the, the emotions of the fight and all this and all that and all the damage you're taking and then thinking it's going to make you feel, oh, maybe I just need one more fight. Maybe I just need one more fight. And he actually 
signed with um, one championship in 2019 to fight again. And then COVID hit like sort of towards the end of 2019. So COVID hits in 2020. And then he's, he's going through the struggles of he had 30 schools and all his schools were shut down. Mm. He's mainly in New Jersey. New Jersey was very strict with lockdowns and just talks about the sort of inventory of, of having to learn how to, to run the schools better and sort of the reality of, of just being reliant on, even though it's multiple streams of income, it's still from the same thing and how the feeling of helplessness of that being taken away. And, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought That's was really interesting, interesting because, too. Uh, you know, I've talked to, um, you know, we work with a lot of gym owners with Robles and yeah. that conversation has come up pre COVID yeah. And then during COVID and after COVID, so pre-COVID, a lot of the instructors were when when I I would bring up the idea of diversity. Yeah. They were more of the mindset of just focus and make that one thing you have really, really good. Yeah. I've always been of the mindset of diversity because I am I call me a pessimist. Like I is I I believe in Murphy's law. If something bad can yeah. happen, it probably yeah. will. So I'm always like, if this one business gets messed up, I need yeah. to have two or three or four different businesses that yeah. are unaffiliated and will be unaffected by the failure of one business. This business is still going and making money and, ge and generating revenue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's funny that I think that that mindset that people had prior to COVID about yeah. just having one thing and don't uh, multitask, just be focused on that. I think that changed during COVID, yeah. after COVID. You yeah. get, you've seen a lot of people now that they're heavy and in investing in other areas. They're heavy investing into real estate. Yeah. Um, they want to diversify because they see that these black swan events can, can happen and, and yeah. um, blindside yeah. you. Yeah, because I mean, you think about it like, um, you know, I know people that, a lot of people that teach jujitsu or whatever, and it's like, man, you're only a, like a broken leg away from having a huge chunk of your income threatened, you know, because it's usually people, yeah, they teach class or whatever, but then they're teaching multiple privates a day or whatever it might be. And it's like that idea of you're just relying on your physicality to make money to me has always terrified me. That's, that's one reason I, I never, I mean, not that I, I guess jujitsu teaching might've been an option. There's, there was no other options for me. You know, I wasn't going to, I tried being a supermodel. That didn't work. But I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't think there was any other other physical options for me anyway. But it's like that idea of, you know, like the surgeon It's like, man, I'd be so scared to be a surgeon. Like, what if you break your hand or whatever? Like, you're screwed. Like your whole like livelihood is is just literally in your own hands. Um, so I think that, you know, in the in the book, Tom talks a lot about that, that sort of realization, um, that sort of revelation. Um, and then uh he gets Tom the blast gets COVID like bad, like COVID plus pneumonia, all that kind of thing. So he's like in intensive care. Like he, he almost died and his dad gets COVID at the same time. Uh, because his dad, I think, I think he was staying with his dad or vice versa. He'd, he'd like build a guest house in his dad's thing. And then his dad was staying at his house or something like that. But they were, they were in relatively close proximity. So they both got COVID um, and yeah, Tom almost died. He like had pneumonia, like all this stuff, intensive care, like the doctors being like, you're very sick. Like, no, like whatever, just, am I gonna, you're very sick. 
like type of thing. Mm. And he's like, well, well, somebody needs to tell my dad. He, they're like, well, your dad's here. And he's like, oh, well, you need to tell me, you know, he can't come see me. He should just go home. They're like, no, 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 your dad's here. Your dad's in intensive care too. Like that kind of thing. And, you know, just the, I don't know. Cause I've had both my parents in the hospital before at the same time, like for different reasons and stuff like that. So just the idea of like, when you're in the hospital, it's like stressful enough and it's, you know, terrible enough. Obviously you're almost dying or something. It's even worse. But then to be like, oh, my support system. Oh, they're here too. Like in the hot, like it's even worse. Um, and it ends on kind of a, kind of a sad note, but it's like basically his, his dad doesn't get better because his dad was in his sixties and, you know, not taking care of himself. And his father passed away from COVID. So, yeah. So basically he talks about, but it was interesting because this is, this is the part that really got me. Um, cause he talks about like the last, his dad was in, in hospice for like a long time. Like they were like, okay, he's got like two days left and it's like a week and a half or something They're like, man, we've never seen anybody live this long in hospice before. And my dad went to hospice, which is for people who don't know hospice is basically when they're like, we can't do anything else. You're going to die. It's just about comfort, like making it's them about comfort. comfort. And, and it's and it's interesting because it's like I'm always like, man, being a doctor and a, like a hospice doctor, that's a pretty good gig, because as long as everyone dies, you're doing your job. It's like, what's <laughs> happening? He's not dead. Get out there. You know what I mean? Like, it's this weird like it almost becomes the, the, the opposite of what you think of with with medicine. And he talks a lot about how he just had like this like very peaceful, good final conversation with his dad that just lasted for like a whole day and i think about like the last time with, with my dad like the day that he died um i mean he was already like unconscious but it was just like this weirdly peaceful like time for me just to like sit there with him for like hours because my mom and my sister were like arguing and they were here and there and they weren't really around that day much at all and i was like man it was it was very similar to his day his last day with his dad um so it was like and it so it got me man i was like crying when i'm reading that because it was it was real emotional so i mean but it was but it was good because it was like you know i think that to me one thing that covid has has pushed to the forefront is dude all this stuff ends like we're we're all the clock is ticking for all of us Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that i know that act like they're never gonna die like, it's like, I know people where it's like, they haven't talked to family members in years. Like, ah, I'm like, well, do you, do you want to resolve this? Yeah. Well, I'm like, well, you should do it now then. Like this whole thing of like, I'll just put off talking to somebody for years and a result, they could be dead tomorrow. Yeah. No more resolving. I'm, like, I'm going to wait for them to talk to me first. Yeah. And it's, it's like this weird, like sort of game of emotional chicken. And for me, like one thing that, and again, it's not all about me, but I apparently I'm making it all about me. Um, I was very glad that I had closure with my dad. And I think that anybody who has older parents, things like that, it's get closure with people. That's one thing that, that with all the whole COVID thing that happened to me, it made me realize like people should get closure with people, not just because of the danger of COVID, but just also because, because of something like COVID, it may prevent you from seeing people, you know, for COVID. I mean, somebody goes out and they get into a car wreck, you know what I mean? You just never know. That's the thing. People were actually dying before COVID. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but that was actually happening. And when <laughs> when COVID gets solved by, you know, I don't know, George Soros or whoever's working on it, um, people will still die after that. 
It's still going yeah. to the death thing. Is this death thing has been going on for a long time? It's going to keep the going. The ego, man. The ego. Like that's that's you know it's a it's a constant um, topic that we discuss on the jujitsu of life, and yeah. it's something that we're always going to discuss because the ego yes. is 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 going to always be present. Yes. But that is that is why the ego, man. The ego to me is like the root of a lot of evil, man. When you have too yeah. much of it, and yeah. it prevents you from getting closure, or it prevents you from doing the things that you know you should be doing because yeah. of pride. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And that's that to me is ultimately what I liked about this book is that, um, yeah, there was times where Tom does not look good. There's times where he's talking about himself. You're like, that's a little silly or whatever. But it's like, man, he put it all out there. And it's like, he knows, like, because he even talked about Reddit. And he's like, his dad was saying something about you, like, people like, he's like, people always like you, Tom. He's like, yeah, you should tell that to the people on, on Reddit. Cause it's like, he gets brutalized <laughs> on Reddit and, but, and he knows this, but it's like, for me, it's, it's pretty ballsy to be like half the people that are read this book are going to like hate me even more than they do and mock me and do all that. And then there's gonna be people like me who were fairly, you know, to blast neutral that are like, man, I hope I run into this guy one time. Cause I'm going to talk to him and be like, man, I went through something real similar with my dad and, and you know, Thank you for putting that out there. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, and so that's a ballsy thing. So ultimately I think that I'm glad I bought it. Glad I read it. Um, and you know, I think it's, but it's, it's gotta be weird to be like, to sort of know that like by putting yourself out there in the way that he does and, and just, you know, partly his own fault too, just kind of the way he goes about it, that you're going to get mercilessly, mercilessly mocked by people and yet, well, that's media. You know, but it's like, but you're like, you know what? It's still ultimately a good thing. So I'm still going to do it. I'm like, man, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could withstand like that much. I mean, there's still somebody on the, on the half guard sweep thing that we had, where we had like 180,000 views on YouTube. And there's like one guy who wrote this, like, this would never work on anybody good. And that comment still pisses me off. And I'm like, you know, well, you know, it's the, funny though, right? Because we were saying like some, sometimes the stuff that Tom puts out seems kind of arrogant, right? right? But one of the most humble things you could do is put yourself out there at the same yeah. time and be super yeah. genuine because you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Especially yeah. with what's happened in Reddit already, right? Yeah. Like you know yeah. the haters. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes you it doesn't matter. You could cure cancer and it doesn't matter. You're going to have these yeah. haters that will just yeah. mercilessly yeah. just try to destroy you. And they spend all their time in their mom's basement just coming up with the best memes, everything that they can do to drag you down. But you say, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there anyways because this might help someone. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is probably one of the most humble things a person could do. Because a lot of times, you know, here's the thing about it. People are like – people that put themselves out there on social media, they're just seeking attention or, you know, it's it's purely monetary – and when you tell that story about how, you know, he fought this guy and he was looking at him after he had already knocked him out and was like, man, I don't feel good about this. Right. Like, I, I think um, he genuinely has this drive to help people, yeah, um, to make the lives of people better. And man, I, you know, my hat's off to him for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and if social media is a platform or a vehicle that he uses, and it's 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 probably the vehicle that anybody that wants to help someone nowadays 
It, yeah, you know, you got to use it. Yeah, you got to use it. You know, the yeah. only time is if you if you're like, I don't really want to influence anybody, or I'm not a person that should be influencing anybody. <laughs> then yes, stay yeah. off Facebook. Yeah, um, yeah. But anybody else, right? Like they 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 pretty much need Instagram and TikTok, and eventually they're going to need the metaverse, which yeah, Mo is going to Mo yeah. is working on trying to control the metaverse. I was going to say they'll, they'll have to be paying you money for that. Man. Uh... <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Somehow. Mo is going to be the king of the metaverse. I don't know how that's going to happen. I want to manifest it into reality. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's uh, I mean, it's, I keep reading about it and, and um, I feel like it's going to split, make people split even more because there's going to be people that are just like, just dive into it completely. Yeah. And then there's going to be people like me that are like, dude, I'm getting out. Dude, completely. I'm telling you, it's a generational thing though. Yeah. It's completely yeah. a generational thing. Like for me and you, we will never be immersed in it. Like I will, yeah. I, if, when when I do immerse myself in it and I will be immersed in it, it's only strictly for business because I see yeah. where this is going. Yeah. I feel like I know yeah. where this is, this is going, right? Yeah. Um, but for anyone else that like in their, you know, that's being born now, yeah. in their yeah. 20s, this is completely normal. We are yeah. going to be the ones that are looked at as you guys are weird for not yeah. being in the metaverse, right? We're just yeah. in from a different time and that's all it is but i'm okay with that this is i'm okay with that 100 percent okay with that and yeah. uh you know um it's just business yeah <laughs> it's just like business. but man this, the generation nowadays it's just going to be completely the norm for them to yeah. to be um uh, communicating to be participating wholeheartedly yeah. in the metaverse i mean it's already happening you have things like Fortnite, where 10 million people will show up in Fortnite to watch a concert, right? It's already like happened. Like a right? metaverse so, concert. So people have already, like this metaverse already exists. The only thing that's happening is it's being taken to a different level. Such a smart play by Facebook. They see that how can you better the social media experience? People can say what they want about social media, but has it grown or has it gotten less? And I would say it's grown. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, more and more and more people, no matter how many people you get talking about and all the studies you get talking about, social media is killing your brain cells. Social media where people are losing their ability to communicate one another face to face, all that type of thing. Yeah. OK, it's not hurting the numbers. The numbers continuously increase and increase. So now it's becoming about how can we make the social media experience next level right and then that's yeah. when you're getting into virtual reality augmented reality ready player one uh yeah. stuff yeah. where people can meet up in the metaverse yeah. anywhere in the world and there's going to be so much business in the metaverse that i'm yeah. so excited about it but that's topic for a whole different yeah. podcast but man i'm super passionate about it so when yeah. you start talking about yeah. the metaverse uh i start no, uh, it's yeah i, I think you're right i mean like even though i'm not like the guy like I want to, I want to, I, I want you to come over yeah. and have coffee with me and I want have, you know, um, let's go out to dinner and all that type of thing. Right. Like I yeah. want to interact that way, but that's our generation, yeah. but yeah. from a business standpoint, right. Um, and you're getting, I mean, a lot of the people that are investing in the metaverse are people that they would never, ever, you would never catch them in the metaverse. Cause they're like in their seventies. Yeah. It's merely they, but they see yeah, seeing, seeing, the where, seeing where, like you like to say, seeing where the uh, the puck is going or where the ball is going, not where it is. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's smart, man. I, I think um, 
I guess for me with COVID, I think, again, I think it sort of diverged people because there's some people that are like, man, this uh, living on Zoom and stuff like that, this is not bad, man. I kind of like this, kind of like not dealing <laughs> with people or seeing people. And then there's other people that I'm like, for like me, it's like, it just made me go the opposite. I'm like, I'm going to see people every chance I get. I'm going to try and be online as little as possible. Um, I'm going to get out there and, and, you know, pound the pavement and drive for dollars and do like as much stuff out there in the world as I possibly can. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe guys like me are a dying breed, but uh, so be it. Yeah. Then we'll, we're going to hang out together until we die. So that's going to be, that's, it. <laughs> that's, that's it. it. So I yeah. love it, my brother, man. You, um, that was such a good review on the yeah. book for Tom to blast makes me want to go out there and read it. But then again, you've already told me yeah. all the highlights. So no, I'm, I'm going to show love. I'm going to buy the yeah. book support. Yeah. It, um, Cause it's out there trying to do a good thing. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. And he does have a super large following in uh, the jujitsu community. Um, and one of the things that we've seen uh, a, a lot of in jujitsu is people that are suffering from depression that yes, do yes. jujitsu and they commit suicide. I think yeah, this is a yeah. good for them to figure out how they can bear it. Yeah, you know, I've, I've actually known two black belts that have killed themselves over the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's weird when people talk, well, so-and-so's like, this is my therapy. It's like, no, that's, it should not be your therapy, <laughs> you know, cause it can be taken away from you and it's not the same thing. So it's, uh, it can help you feel better, but it's not the same thing as therapy, so. So yeah, no, it was good. And it's interesting actually, cause like for most jujitsu guys, I would want to talk to them about jujitsu, but with Tom DeBlas, I would want to talk to him about his dad. So yeah, that's different. Maybe we'll get the chance. Maybe. Yeah. We'll no, that'd be cool. I'm sure he's, yeah. uh, he's, he's coming to Austin a lot now because, uh, you know, with, um, the Dan and her death squad the world, here, man. uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, flow grappling, everything is here in Austin and obviously the jujitsu of life. We here. were here first, but we you know, it doesn't matter. Or Joe Rogan before any of those guys. Uh, we were here. It's not so. who's first. It's who's, who's better and who's got more money. So. <laughs> Damn it. It's who's left. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. There's still some uh, some uh, miles left in the race. and We'll see what there happens. But boom, this episode is in the books. To re-listen to this episode or to check out our past episodes, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Also, check us out on Apple iTunes like review subscribe uh shout out to robles makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu apparel nobody can be you better than you be authentic robles we make custom geese yellow pine investments makes custom warehouses check them out check out steve hordensky with jujitsu on the go check out our boy who am i leaving now? i'm leaving out Caleb somebody Calista. Caleb Calista, sneaky no. submissions gi yeah. no gi uh, make sure you check him out, man. He's really putting out some great content and he's sharing yeah. it um, with us over here at Robles. I love his teaching style and I love what he teaches. It's very yeah. unique, but also fundamentally sound. And if you're in the Austin area, check out Chaparral Moving. They have moving down to a science. I am Mo. That is my brother, Carter Fisk. As always, we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Robles newsletter to get the exclusive content at robles.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. 
and you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat. <laughs>